folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, I'm again, and this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G-E-E-S, emil.gorgis at tokyorealty.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, we've got a bit of a treat for you. If you've been following us for a while, you probably remember me um, harping on and on about our first business networking and games event, which was held here in Fukuoka City last December. And you may also recall that one of our speakers was Mr. Jason Ball, who's the owner and admin of the Business in Japan community, which is the country's biggest English business networking group now with well over 70,000 members. Now, Jason gave a fantastic presentation, followed by an equally fantastic Q&A session at the event. And today's episode is the audio recording of said presentation. Now, while this could seem a bit off topic to our main focus here on the podcast, it's really not because whether you're living here or overseas, if you're buying, selling, and managing any kind of real estate properties in Japan, you absolutely will need to build, maintain, and nourish professional relationships. And because, as we've mentioned here on the podcast time and time again, Japanese professionals place great emphasis on the proper way to do things. And the real estate industry, if anything, is even more rigid in this regard, being quite old school in nature uh, in the land of the rising sun. So everything that Jason speaks about is actually crucial for anyone hoping to be active in this arena. And while he starts off more generally discussing the art and science and global nuances of business networking anywhere in the world, he quickly leans into the factors that make Japan and relationships between Japanese and non-Japanese professionals unique. Now, we'll link to this presentation's video as well in the episode show notes. So if you prefer the video format, as well as uh, to Jason's previous appearance, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, going back a few good years now, when he spoke to us uh, here on the podcast about starting a business and finding work in Japan. And on that episode as well, he shared plenty of golden nuggets that anyone can benefit from. So be sure to check that, check that one out in the uh, show notes as well. All right, lean back, tune in, enjoy this information-packed session. And I'll see you again on the other side. Jason is Australian, lives in Tokyo, and, and he's the um, 
founder or just the Actually owner? Not, but no. the owner of business in Japan. Yeah, so the owner oh. of business in Japan, which is Japan's biggest uh, English business networking um, online community. Mm. About 70,000 members now, right? So just about to hit yeah. 70,000. Yeah, and he's been at it for a very, very long time. So um, Jason is going to be talking to us about well, I, I guess I'll just start with, I'll tell you about myself, but I'm going to be talking about how networking or people relationships have been uh, a big part of my success or um, uh, progress in, in Japan. And I, mm -hmm. I had a very atypical landing. I, I wasn't uh, studying Japanese at university. I uh, wasn't into anime. Uh, I did do some martial arts, including karate, but I was doing... Chinese martial arts before that, and so I, I d didn't teach English, and uh, I got invited to come and work for someone. So I also don't have a degree, and 18 and a half years later in Japan, my Japanese is still not not very strong. I, uh, I couldn't I couldn't do a job that where it was a critical uh, requirement to to have Japanese, and yet um, yeah, I've progressed through a career and gone up and up in in uh, salary and and been able to choose the direction that I've, I've wanted to go while I'm here. So I'll tell you a little bit more about my background. Um, I am Australian, as he said, and I came here Golden Week 2003. Mm -hmm. um, touched down at 10pm, I think it was on a Saturday in Golden Week, picked up by my friend and employer, and uh, by 7am the next morning I was disconnecting computers on Morgan Stanley's trading floor and uh, was basically hardly slept that night, had to work out how to get from Yorga in Setagaya out of Tokyo into inner Tokyo and uh, yeah it, it's it's been a fun ride since that since that day and immediately I needed um, I needed to manage a, and grow and manage a, a list of uh, engineers that we could call on to disconnect these computers. It's called Move Ad Change or iMac. So whilst I did do networking in Australia uh, and, and my relationships with people were the reason that brought me to Japan and, and also fed some of my success before coming to Japan, really it was, okay, I'm in a new, sit new city, um, don't speak Japanese, uh, I need to start meeting people. And uh, in those days, there was no Facebook. I think Facebook was starting then, but, but hadn't uh, got big. And same with LinkedIn. And so I had to do that by just getting out amongst the people and, and finding these engineers. So I was out in Tokyo and meeting some, some famous people, famous in the Tokyo networking scene, learning from them. And uh, over the years, I've come up with a way that I, uh, looking back on, on what I did and the sort of advice I give people to uh, when they network, and so I'm going to I'm going to go through that with you. And of course, LinkedIn is the other big part of um, what's helped me be successful and what's helped me form this this method. Um, I, th I think uh, a couple of people introduced me to LinkedIn around about the same time in February 2004, and I. I didn't see it as a website. I just saw immediately all the faces of people I knew in Tokyo mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of people I wanted to know. And so I just dived straight in. And uh, having a, a very local area 
focus. Uh, I used LinkedIn extremely proactively to go out and meet people. And in those days, uh, all in person and, uh, and, and networking events, when I say that word, people usually think of big events. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with big events. I, I love big events. But networking to me was more about the people, uh, who I wanted to meet, how I was going to meet them. Um, and uh, the events themselves were just uh, one, one part of that. All right, so, and then when I finished, I'll give you a few um, ideas that I've come across for how Japanese people and foreign people interact in business. And there's a little anecdote that I got from a friend of mine, um, Tim Sullivan, that's relevant to this weekend. Um, and he was working for Honda. Uh, in the U.S., and he, um, yeah, he evolved into being an intercultural consultant, and uh, he's he's now retired in Japan, but he lived in the U.S. for for a very long time. So I'll tell you a little a little story about about that as well, um, and then we'll do Q and A. Just anything you want to ask me. So, without further ado, so number one on the list of um, why you want to network or if we leave that networking concept aside, why, why you want to go out and create either personal or professional relationships is, is do a sit down and, and understand what you want to get out of networking. If you do that, if you know what you want, that's your important anchor of what's in it for me, but then you can leave that behind and move forward with another person focus and that that you want to achieve can come up naturally in conversation. You never lead with it. Um, it could be, if it's personal, you could be looking for a life partner. If it's business, you could be looking for a, a job maybe, or you're in sales. That sort of stuff you, you shouldn't lead with. It's going to be something that comes up naturally. It's very easy, especially when you go out and meet people for the first time. Um, they ask you the same things. In, in Japan, it's all very quickly formal with the business card. There's good things about business cards, but it, it does change the dynamic, and um, not just in foreigner networks, uh, networking events, but Japanese ones especially that I've been to, all Japanese, very structured, organized, <laughs> cards come out, and this, uh, it takes quite a while for, for the discussions to relax, and, and that coming up in, in a conversation thing to move into a more uh, comfortable uh, rapport building, relationship building uh, kind of way. One of the bigger differences that I noticed first w with events that happened outside of Japan and then events that happened in, but then inside Japan, very Japanese organized networking events versus the more foreign uh, style of event. So know what you want and you don't have to know everything but that, that you want out of meeting people because that's, that's half the point. Get out there amongst people and, and opportunities will come to you. But have a, have a goal, and um, when, when it becomes your turn, you'll have that there to, to put out to people. So it can be, um, you can have more than one of course, but you can have your pr professional and your personal reasons for networking, so have a couple of reasons. And once you've got that, as I said, put it in your back pocket, let it come up in naturally in conversation, and um, then move forward with, a, with another personal focus. But the other thing about that evolves with you when you do that is your personal brand. 
and your personal brand can become um, very um, helpful in achieving what you want to achieve by um, your professional relationships and, and going out there. And a personal brand is nothing but how other people perceive you and your influence on that. The fact that you can actually influence that. You can consciously build towards how you want to be perceived in some ways. Um, and a good question to ask yourself as you, you, you think about your personal brand is what, what, what are you known for already and what would you like to be known for and, and, and bring them into, into uh, sync with each other. And, and later, as you, uh, if you enjoy it and it's getting you where you want to go, um, you'll become the go-to person for something is, is a, another helpful um, fuel to your networking efforts that will develop as you go out and do more of it. And so, yeah, so personal branding. Um, go out there and read some stuff about it. It comes from a book, I don't know, in the 90s, from a guy called uh, Tom Peters, I think. A brand called You. Um, but yeah, on the Wikipedia article, um, a quick Google, personal branding for dummies is a good summary. And just have a, con a conscious understanding of it as you go out and, and build your uh, visibility and persona um, out in the, in the world. And then how do you start? So the tools that we have now are, are awesome, like things like LinkedIn. Um, but even before then, it, it's, it's about um, researching the types of people you want to meet and where you want to meet them and in what vertical or industry. So I'm talking from uh, experience uh, of how am I going to use this LinkedIn thing. For me, I, I, I was in project management, so I just opened a spreadsheet and just, where do I want to meet people? It's only in Japan. But if you're in a virtual world now, you might put the places that I'm interested in meeting people. And you could put local areas. You might go to uh, Japan or, or Fukuoka, Japan, in your first two columns. And then the industries. Maybe there's a, a defined set of industries that people are in that you want to meet more of. Um, so verticals. And then companies. Who are the companies in those verticals, in those locations that you want to meet? And literally list them. List all of this in a spreadsheet. And you keep adding to this spreadsheet. So what are the companies? Are they, do they have an office in Japan if they're not a, not a Japanese company? Um, and then within companies, what are the departments and areas, depending on how specific your, your desire to meet people is, you can dig down into the types of department or for departments, areas uh, within a company that interest you, or daughter companies if they're a large conglomerate, and, and keep digging down the roles within those um, departments are important um, because the step below that is, is the people and who are the people in the roles, departments, companies, verticals and locations that you want to meet. And if you set yourself a goal uh, as you embark on a new, um, maybe you just arrived in Japan or you want to start networking from scratch or you're about to finish university, have a goal of meeting 50 people in person or COVID times virtually. And if you use this, this approach long before you get to actually meeting those 50 exactly the types of per people you want to meet, you'll have 
begun developing this network in exactly the direction you want. Uh, and why is that important? It's more important now than, it, than always because of information overload. Where do you start? I mean, if you, um, information overload came when email started exploding. Now, information overload is just, it's ubiquitous. You, you, it's all about filters, and you've just, we've all just learnt to filter in uh, more of what we want and out everything else. And so, if you're going to network, you at least want to network towards a goal and towards a, a direction, which you can define in the process of um, who am I going to reach out to or who would I like to meet. And so, as you start building that, how do you go out and meet people? Obviously, networking events can be a big part of that, and even virtual events. Um, most people are not, whether it's virtual or, or um, in person, they're not very proactive. And somewhere between the guy who goes around giving his card out to everyone and someone who stands in the corner just with the one person they know and doesn't meet anywhere else, there's a, there's a balance. Yeah, and business cards are a big thing here, so giving your card and receiving a card is, is quite uh, okay here. And the other thing that 9 out of 10 people don't do is they don't follow up with that person. So um, gathering cards, if it's virtual, gathering names, putting them on the list. Um, when you meet people, who do you know in this company or who do you know who uh, graduated from this program or you, you use your goal and um, what you want to achieve as a way to have these conversations. And being focused 80% on the other person um, so that you can understand how you can help them is, is going to be important because when you, um, when you want to build rapport with people, rapport is nothing but uh, sameness, things that you have in common. And so um, asking questions is, is the best way, of course, to understand people. And so digging through with rapport um, helps you to think of ways you can help that person. And one, this, one of the secret questions is, um, how can I help you? And of course most people, unless they're looking for a job or they're in sales or their own business, they, they really can't answer that question. Um, and so the next step is understanding how, uh, what they do and the sorts of people that they might like to meet. And then making introductions to, to people is a great way to start building a strong relationship. Um, you introduce two, three people that that person wasn't expecting and that they really enjoyed meeting. And suddenly they're thinking, oh, wow, it must be my turn. Who, how do I help him again? And that's where during that conversation you pull out the specific way um, that um, someone can help you. Oh, I'm looking to meet anyone at Microsoft or anyone at um, uh, Netflix that works in anime or something like that. And then he thinks, oh, what was it again? And if you've said it in a nice... Uh, as it comes up naturally in conversation in a nice, short, sharp, memorable way, he's going to start remembering, okay, that's the right one. So having a growing group of people out there thinking, wow, Jason just introduced someone else to me, or how can I help him again? Um, yeah, there, there are people who are going to take and they're going to take, but the average person is going to also want to help you. All right, so you're, you're making this list, and 
people, connected to the people, connected to the roles, connected to that. It just, it will grow exponentially and you won't have to track it anymore in a tool like uh, LinkedIn um, or a CRM or if you're an organized person with your phone, you can start keeping it there. And then on, on the, the magic of networking happens on the bleeding edge as you, as you grow your network. It's the person who introduces you to that person, bringing people together in small groups yourself, introducing two people doing it in person or on a call together rather than just by email. This is where the, the magic happens. And I said earlier, don't lead with what you want. It's now becoming, you're growing this network of people who've heard from you, you've established some rapport, they like you. Um, you now actually can turn back into that uh, network and ask specifically for what you want. And the more you've done your homework of helping people, understanding how you can help them, how you should meet this guy, or hey, I know a couple of people who are in the same job as you, why don't you grab a couple of people and we'll get people together around a niche um, reason. And I used to do events um, under the name of Good People Japan, and I called it micro-networking. And that was where I was establishing this, okay, I can't, <laughs> I don't have enough time to introduce one person to one person. So I started bunching them together around uh, common subjects of interest. And often it would be a, a job role or the fact that you're foreigners, whatever it was, as soon as we had the event, instant rapport with everyone because we literally all knew we were meeting around a, a common subject. So that made it a lot easier for other people to start um, leveraging their networks and understanding, ah, okay. So um, so good people was a, was a big part of me ah, understanding that rapport and, and helping pe bring people together uh, around a common subject of interest is a very powerful way to dig into that group of defined area that, that you want to head. And so, um, keywords and, and um, niche subjects, niche events, these are also always to, to dig in to meet the sorts of people you want. And when you're using things like LinkedIn, keyword searches, looking at a profile, it's, it's not about can I get in touch with that person and meet them, it's about how does that person's work history fit into my spreadsheet, into the sorts of people I want to meet. And you know, which school do they go to, click through, which groups are they in, uh, who are they connected that you, to that you already know. Um, helps you to, to network through your network and, and again, trying to imagine the next step, the next step. Who's, who can I meet through that person? And so a common thing about LinkedIn that people say, which is, which is true, is oh, not many Japanese people use LinkedIn. And it's, it's true, I think there's, there's um, uh, must be over 10 million people who are on LinkedIn in Japan. And a, a small fraction of them are, are Jap Japanese, probably less than 20%. But if, you, if your goal is to meet Japanese people and in using LinkedIn, how do you meet them? Isn't there, they're not all on, on LinkedIn. There's so many people on LinkedIn in Japan that if you systematically go through this method and have a targeted way and a reason for networking, some sort of framework to follow, each of those people on LinkedIn, whether they're Japanese or not, know a whole bunch of other LinkedIn. And so that's a, 
a very good way to meet other Japanese people um, without having to use LinkedIn, uh, without having to have found them on LinkedIn, it's because they're, they're connected to everybody. And if you're out there in amongst the subjects that interest you, if you're genuinely talking to people about how you can help them, um, you know, a, a growing list of people that you're within your list are, are going to become close connections that you can ask at any time, hey, who do you know who's Japanese, who's uh, you know, a management accountant? I've, I've got to introduce a management accountant to this guy. And so you, you get all these people working with you and for you. Uh, and because it's, it's all a, um, an other person focus, it's, it's, it's not using anyone, it's helping them uh, and helping the network to become closer and, and uh, feel more, more valued. Okay, and so reaching out to people on LinkedIn is, is uh, daunting to some people and um, a lot of people um, were concerned about, well, I don't, I don't accept uh, invitation requests from anyone I don't know or if someone doesn't write a note on their invitation then I'm not going to accept it. Um, to me, of course, I personally would not send someone a connection without putting a note but it doesn't mean on the, on the reverse side of that that I judge anyone else who does. I mean, um, it's basically LinkedIn etiquette doesn't require you to put anything. I mean, it's very easy. You tap the wrong button and the invitation's gone. Um, and even on the, the web interface, it's, it's, most people don't put any note. So putting a note will help. Um, and what you want to achieve, whether it's a note or whether it's... Um, an email or whether it's someone's just introduced you to someone. The way you want to introduce yourself, again, is not to lead with what you or who you are and what you want. It's to try and identify that, that sameness again that you can bring up as soon as possible. But it's also to subtly um, make all answer the questions that are in people's mind and make sure that you're not giving off red red flags of oh god so and so's introduced me to him but he probably just wants a job or he probably wants to sell me something, um, you can diffuse some of that in the way that you send your email or your message. And uh, if you if you if you can't identify some sameness, oh, I see you went to so and so university. John said I should connect with you because I went there as well. That's an example of an easy one where you you've got something. But if you can't identify anything else then networking comes, the word networking comes in. You can say, I'm just networking. I'm networking with people just like you. I'm networking with sales managers or anything that you, you give them that they can hang the reason. Why is this guy or girl um, reaching out to me? Give them that reason in the early stages, especially if it's not an invitation, it's actually a message or an email. Just say, say um, I haven't been using LinkedIn for uh, the way I should be. I've been on there for ages. I've just started doing it, uh, so I'd like to reach out to you because I'm networking. It is a, is a good approach. And now all of this, um, you don't know, and you don't need to know how to do it from the beginning, the right way. You're you're going to learn how to do it by doing it. And so, as I said before, long before you get to your goal of having met, met 50 people in the space that interest you you'll get better and better at the research part. And you'll get better and better at deciding how you're going to approach that person. You'll get better with the first message. You'll get 
better with the first message after they accept. You'll get better at asking, can you introduce me to that person? So you don't have to worry about how comfortable you are with this process in the beginning um, because you'll get better at, at it by doing. And that's where the framework and the spreadsheet helps you understand at least um, how I'm going to approach this, this concept of networking and, and building my, my network it, to be in the space, an area that interests me, but also so that it's strong and deep uh, and wide. So, um, yeah, so learn by doing. You get, you get good at every stage of it by doing it. And if you really do have a strong goal, for example, you need a job or um, an internship at a certain date or, um, or you, you're a new sales guy and you've got to start selling, then the next secret is massive action. Don't reach out to 20 or 30 people, reach out to 200 or 300 people. And uh, once you do that, you start not worrying so much about each of the details. And you, again, you accelerate getting good at it by doing it. So massive action. Um, yeah, and, and um, how can I help you? Start, start getting into that, even if you don't, um, you haven't yet had the opportunity to ask them that question in person. Still uh, thinking that as your way of interacting with people, so that you can be looking out for ways to help people, and uh, people really appreciate it when, especially when you introduce someone to them that can help them, uh, and they weren't expecting it. Um, all right. So yeah, and I said I talked about inf information overload. Even when you're doing this, it's it's the same. It's it's about filters, filtering in more of what you you want, and uh, focusing your efforts on more of the important things, and filtering out or not connecting, for example, with people that you have no interest on uh, interest in, and 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 filtering out um, the 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 stuff that distracts you from what you want to achieve from the, your personal relationship building. All right, so yeah, so massive action will accelerate the whole process. Uh, we'll f you'll fill that sheet up. You'll start build building these relationships, and you'll be able to turn and face this relationship and authentically ask for things. Um, and if you still have concern about that, then maybe spend some time throwing more connections and value. And uh, hey, John, it was great meeting you last year down COVID. We haven't been able to meet up in person yet. How can I help you? I wanted to ask you that. And you then have that approach to 100 people that you've already met. And that, by the time you've done that, you're going to feel that that network is, is uh, feeling more value from you and that you're going to have less concern in the future about turning around and saying, hey, John, can you introduce me to that person? And you'll feel completely comfortable, and he'll feel completely comfortable doing it because you've you've offered that value. All right. So before I tell that little a anecdote about um, Japanese and foreigners working together, does anyone have any questions on that, on what I've just discussed? So knowing what you want and and thinking hard about that, um, and there might be multiple things. 
understanding um, how you can articulate that in the, in the best low-key, not all about you and what you want kind of way. Um, keeping your personal brand in mind, the influence you have on the way people perceive you. Um, some structure, some framework to uh, capture the research and the, and the direction that you're moving towards. So a spreadsheet works, but I mean, if you've got a CRM or uh, another way of doing it, the, the concept is uh, um, a structure and a direction exactly where you want to have actual location direction, but also the, the sorts of people you prefer to meet and, and uh, that will maximize uh, your efforts for network, networking at least in the direction you want to head. And then uh, how to go about it from actual approaches and one-on-one and -on -one, um, identifying and approaching people to large networking events and your strategy for for making sure that you do follow up and you don't just have a great event and then think, what was that guy's name again? Make sure there, that you have a way to get back to them and so few people do follow up after networking events and so if you practice and get a good way to, hey, I just wanted to connect with you on LinkedIn or you're already connected, it was great meeting you for the first time, have, have, a, have a method for doing that um, so that you don't lose the value of a great networking event. And then identifying in your local area and your local space niche events that are happening and uh, you know, software development, um, there's sales, there's people meeting fellow salespeople. Try and find some niche events. It's a great place to build your network instantly in, in a certain area. And then introduce other people to each other. And it's, we're all sitting at home now, we can do it all by Zoom. But be involved, at least in the beginning, so that you get, uh, you can see that experience happening and you can feel I'm the one that brought this together, I'm the one offering the value. And then um, think about doing events yourself. If you want to meet certain types of people, be that person to, to bring others together. And you can start around a theme that you're interested in, like, like games or real estate, um, software development. It, it, it doesn't matter, but it's a, it's a great way to brand the reason why we are meeting, rather than generically business networking or everyone arrives with their own thing. You've got instant rapport, and if it's eight to ten people or less, in person, everyone gets a chance to meet everyone. Everyone gets a chance to uh, exchange cards and uh, get a feeling on whether you like that person. Uh, and from uh, an, an on-purpose networker's point of view, um, m much more time and, and um, opportunity to identify how you can help the other person. Um, yeah, and then massive action. Any of those subjects, does anyone have any questions? I think your point on uh, <coughs> almost giving things away before you're expecting anything back is probably most vital and then proactively managing that through. But over the years, the more interesting things have been the things that have existed and have come back to me on the periphery, periphery of my network, right. which is quite big. I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff I can do and I give it away and it comes back directly, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's kind of what I'm expecting. But it's the curveballs, like, for example, like Ziv, I met him in the summer at Lewis's bar and we were chatting 
I didn't think in December I'd be sitting here doing this, and that was not why I had gone to Off-Broadway in the first place. Um, but there you are, it's the things that come back to you indirectly that sometimes make the spice of life, right? Um, but if you don't have your eyes and ears open for it, like you're going to miss it, right? Um, so I think that proactive element is quite vital here. And we, I also have organised networking events, and we used to have when Singapore, I used to have the Singapore Thursday Night Club, I moved to Fukuoka, we set up Fukuoka Thursday Night Club, and then in Tokyo I had the Tokyo Thursday Night Club. It was kind of fun, we had a few rules, we had one number, rule number one, only good people. If you brought someone and we didn't like them, we wouldn't invite you again. And rule number two, I'm sorry about this one, no neckties. <laughs> and rule number three, it can, it can come with the board, huh? <laughs> rule number three was um, no speeches. Right. So don't, because you've all been to networking events mm. where someone corners you and they're trying to sell you like a fax machine or something, and it's like, please leave me alone. Mm. I don't want to be here for this. <laughs> and leave us alone with the fax machine. You leave us alone with the fax machine. We're anti-faxers. Anti-faxers. <laughs> so I think, yeah, putting other people first and like, Two ears, one mouth, right? Use them in that order. Mm. <laughs> I have a comment about what you're saying about the, the goal, like fixing a goal and going to a, a networking event that are in the field that you're like, um, you want to achieve, like like the goal you want to achieve. Mm. And um, I'm okay with that, that point if you're in Tokyo, mm. not mm -hmm. in Fukuoka. No. No. Because um, in Fukuoka, it's the opposite you need to leave the door open to any possibility. Mm -hmm. That's how the networking is going to work. It's maybe something like someone you think, I have nothing to do with that person. Like, for example, like a banking guy. I have, I have no nothing to do with the bank guy. But you're still going to, to do network with that guy because you don't know which door is going to be open. Oh, yeah. And that, especially in Fukuoka, is important, I well, think. Why do you think it's different in Fukuoka? Because there's less people in each There is less segment. people. Okay. Like, for example, if you target only network events that is in your field, it's going to be the same people, exactly the same people you are going to meet yeah. again and again and again and again. And in, like, two months, you're done. You're done, yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you have to be open to any kind of field. Mm -hmm. And it's for me, it's also the, the meaning of network. It's especially in Kyushu, there is work, but there is no net. So you have a group of people, many, 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 many group of people, no net between. And that's what is killing the business in Kyushu. And is what me, on my level, on my job, I'm trying to, to, to stop, actually. So I'm, I'm arriving in any kind of business, <laughs> any kind of network, and any kind of party. I'm here. And when they ask me, I always find a reason. Always. We interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo and they offer a home away from home experience which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, 
which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy. Fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. So in Tokyo, yes, because it's so many possibilities, so many people and so many like on the same field, like for example, like software development, I'm sure there is like hundreds of groups like walking around that so you have time to do only software networking events mm -hmm. but not in Kyushu not in Fukuoka not in English especially I think mm -hmm. yeah also yeah. yes yeah. and about the LinkedIn things um, why Japanese are not using it mm -hmm. like I, I went to this big event that is like the boykai like the trade company so it's all the big corporate director uh, connected to international mm. I came back home with 50 cards mm. on 50 cards only two were on LinkedIn yeah. mm. so there is a problem because they were on Facebook yeah, and now they asked me they asked me to be friend on Facebook and I don't want to be friend on Facebook and then I want to be friend with them on LinkedIn yeah. you know and that's for me it's a problem mm. The other thing I do, like uh, I, I have also the Excel sheet, I have it, but because I have so many cards, I go to quite a lot of events. Um, as soon as I finish the event, in the taxi actually, mm. I'm writing something on the card about the person. Like, it can be a completely stupid thing, not interesting, <laughs> boring, <laughs> glasses. Do you don't want to go to my office and look at my card actually? <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, I, I can write that, like cute, gla cute glasses or like interesting haircut or like, I write such stu stupid things, but it's how I remember the people. When you meet so many people like that, you need to find a way to remember the people. So that's, that's for you, that's a private thing, but you have to write that, otherwise you forget, you don't remember with who you talk and what you exchange, so. Yeah. I'm really yeah, interested to hear from our Japanese guests actually because it's true that um, it's very very rare or at least much much less frequent to see Japanese people on LinkedIn yeah. so are, are you guys and girls aware of LinkedIn do you know the platform exists mm -hmm. do, do you yeah I'm on LinkedIn you're on you LinkedIn? Yeah. 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 LinkedIn I don't really use it but yeah. I'm on it okay mm -hmm. Why is it less popular in Japan, I wonder? Are they not advertising? Do they just not catch on? Or? Well, there's, there's many stereotypical reasons, such as uh, it, it was launched very firmly in the world, but especially in Japan as a job search site. Mm -hmm. So 
just by having a, a profile there, it sort of suggests you might be mm. at least open to another job, which doesn't necessarily look good. Oh, okay. They took a while before they got the language. Yeah, well, we were also getting a lot of noise, and I'm not sure how it is in different languages, but as a software developer, I get so many messages from um, recruiters, uh, recruiters yeah, all yeah. the time that uh, basically whenever I open LinkedIn, I really don't have the time to actually filter through anything because it's just going to be so much noise in there, just like, oh, here, we have this nice opportunity, this nice opportunity, and you get this all the time. Yeah. Mm. Might be different on different branches, I'm not sure on that one, but mm. then at least for, for me as software developer, it's pretty much, I don't think it's really useful to actually connect and to keep connected, especially. And the thing to remember is, whilst um, uh, a lot of Japanese have studied uh, English for six or more years, doesn't mean they're, they're comfortable um, on a website that's mostly mm. in, in, in English. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, yeah, the translation of the site is not even very comfortable. So mm -hmm. why, why would they? I mean, I, I wouldn't be on a Russian network because yeah. I couldn't <laughs> navigate. And, and even German, which I studied at school, I, I would feel uncomfortable trying to navigate and try and work out what this thing is and how well, it, it might benefit you're talking to, right? Like I do have Japanese people who are on LinkedIn and they approach me in Japanese, you know, so same as I do on Facebook, I might, you know, if I don't get what they're writing, I might use Google Translate, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, there's, a, there's a Japanese version of the Business in Japan uh, group, but it's um, only got, I don't know, 3,000 members, yeah. but it's just starting to get going now. There's about three or four guys that post a lot of stuff. But I mean, even as Clubhouse evolved, the, the types of, the ways that Japanese people use Clubhouse is different, uh, uh, a little different to the way that um, um, at least Western foreigners use it. How do you mean? Um, well, it's, it's very much, we've come to sit and listen to the expert type thing. Yeah, so it's not I a conversation, it's more a presentation. Yeah. I mean, th th there's very ways that people use it, of course, but uh, it, it started to become obvious that it was different. And it's the same uh, with LinkedIn. I mean, it's hard enough for the average um, uh, native English speaker to work out what the, where the value is, yeah. let alone if you're foreign a world, which probably is the bulk of Japanese people, right? So to our, again, I'm thinking how to bring value to our Japanese guests here. So if you are a, a Japanese person and you're just starting a company and you do want or need to network with foreigners, whether you want to find them as customers or business partners or whatever the case may be, can you give up like a concrete example of how that initial um, conversation might start in a way that would not uh, turn off, uh, I mean, I don't want to say prospect because it's not necessarily going to be a client, but what would be, how would you approach, if you're a Japanese person approaching a, a foreigner, what would be the best way to start the conversation and how is it different from what you usually do, Japanese to Japanese kind of thing? Yeah, um, well first of all they're somewhat westernized for even being on the platform, right? Yeah. And they're somewhat comfortable or, or yeah. needing to be comfortable talking to foreigners. I, I, would, I would say approach them the same way as I've said in English, I'd just say I'm I'm, I'm Japanese and I haven't used LinkedIn much. Yeah. Just reaching out for this reason, it'd be great to connect. And definitely yeah. don't start with here's who I am and what I do yeah. and what I, I'm selling, right? Because yeah. that's, that's often because when I, when I attend a business meeting with a Japanese company, it's always here's who we are. First, let us give you an introduction of our company and what we do. That doesn't work 
for foreigners. Like if I'm approached that way uh, by a foreigner, I'm immediately feeling like a, the, like a car salesman. You know, he's here to sell me something. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not necessarily a sell tactic for the Japanese. It's just the way they structure conversations, isn't mm -hmm. it? Same with the networking and the business cards. Yeah, mm -hmm. that you have to they have to position themselves and who we are. Yeah. So uh, one of the reasons that um, it's important to understand personal branding is your profile on LinkedIn is, is going to tell that to someone. And there's a lot of fake profiles on on LinkedIn, even in in, uh, in Japanese too. And so they you can automate the entire thing, have the profile set up, and then plug it into a browser plugin and it will go through a network and it'll, it'll make it'll comments really it'll do anything <laughs> but of course especially it will send um, invitations uh, with nothing or a set phrase or something like that so whether it's a Japanese person reaching out to a foreigner or, or anybody reaching out to anyone um, the first thing someone's going to do is check the profile and I understand that a lot of people don't want to share much uh, information on a on a public website like that. But that's where your understanding of personal branding and the goals you want to achieve will allow you to just put as much in your profile as you're comfortable with that still starts to suggest you're a real person. And I try and structure the whole conversation of this is who I am and this is what I do and take it a bit further. Is, is um, um, This is how I, I can help you and this is how you can help me. Plus, if it's all on my profile, then I don't need to start with introducing myself. No. The person can actually just have a look without me pushing it on them, right? Right, but if, if you've got very little stuff in your profile because you're not real comfortable yet, mm -hmm. then they've got to say something. So, yeah, um, yeah, don't, don't lead with, with who you are and all about you and what you want. Yeah. Uh, and try to talk as if you already know them uh, or you're a friend of a friend. It'd be great to meet. It'd be, it'd be great to connect. So the same same advice as I would give anyone, really. Um, and don't don't worry about your English if you're worried about your English. And if if you want to show some more, um, if you really know that your English is not good, mm -hmm. I would say to mention that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'd just say, don't don't apologise for it. Japanese apologise too much, but just <laughs> say. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I'm so sorry this email is late. It's like a minute yeah. <laughs> since I sent it to you. It's not late. Yeah. <laughs> Probably don't ask to teach you English. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. But you can, you can bring it into the message of why you're reaching mm. out. For example, I, I, I'm new to LinkedIn or new to using LinkedIn. I want to just reach out to you, even though my English is not strong. Right. And that would be a great way to bring down the level and make people feel, well, this isn't a bot. Mm -hmm. This isn't someone trying to sell me something. It's a real person. It's nice mm -hmm. to get a note. Mm -hmm. um, and then don't, when they connect, don't jump in and then sell mm -hmm. them yeah. everything. That Not the second message to <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. <laughs> I've recently been getting, like, you can sort of tell how the conversation is going to go. Somebody approaches, hi, how are you? How are things? How is COVID in your town? And, yeah, and you can, you know that... Those are bots, yeah. from, are they? From, usually from Taiwan or, or um, Hong Kong or something okay. like that. That's why but they're starting to widen them. They're in Japan and Korea. And yeah. They, they can automate that. And they will, the outgoings, initial automation. But then there's people there with a bank of 
computers. Oh, one someone responded, and they're, they're trying to get you into a probably a love scam, something like that. Mm. I have a question. Um, to what extent do you need to like flesh your profile out, like to back up when you're networking? Like, like anybody can say, "Oh, I can do this for you," but mm. is it important to show what you can do, or your achievements, or qualifications? Uh, I mean, uh, those people that want to sell you like, like a profile, are we going to write your profile, or, right, right. all that mm. sort of stuff. Uh, you don't, you don't need that. You need to know why you, why you're going to go out there, and when, why you're reaching out to people, and what influence you want to have on your personal brand. And that's just one tool. It's an important one yeah. if you're doing a lot of networking on there. So I'd just say, put the sort of stuff that supports the way you're approaching your network, yeah. and don't put any more. For for me, my network is found me all my jobs, so I'm very specific and my profile's quite long and yeah. um, LinkedIn gurus would say that my style of profile's um, not the way you should do it. But for me, it's, it's, it's a part of my control over my personal brand, but it, in yeah. terms of getting a job, I want people to, to know my actual in, individual contribution in each role, yeah. so I've listed it and that, all of my jobs have come from. So really personal connections. Yeah, yeah, but, but put something. Try oh, of course, yeah. Try to um, sh show a bit of personality, or at least show that you're you're an authentic yeah. person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I because of my known degree, uh, not strong Japanese uh, in the beginning, not a clear um, career path. Recruiters didn't knock down my door, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, yeah, my my network was where all of my jobs, and even the one I'm, the job I'm going for now, is it's all my network. Mm -hmm. The job I've had for the last six years, and uh, the the rise in, in income has all come from from my network. In terms of branding in general, whether it's yourself or a phone or yeah. whatever it is, like you need two key things. One, you need to be able to ensure that the that there is mental availability. That is, people remember you. Sure. And you don't need a long speech for that. Oh, you can yeah, be yeah. quite punchy and people yeah. don't remember. And then secondly, you need, well, in product terms, you need product availability. Yeah. You need to physically be able to buy it. Those are the two key things for any branding. Yeah. So you don't have to flesh your profile out. It could be quite punchy and quite neat and tidy. Yeah. And it would be memorable. Sure. Um, but then, of course, if you want turning up to network so you weren't then managing on LinkedIn, there would be no physical availability of you. Right? Of course, yeah. So I think that's always quite keen to keep in mind for branding. Because otherwise branding can be so complicated, but it's not that complicated at the very base level. One of the things that Jason was saying, and that works for all kinds of, I think, business endeavors, not just networking, is um, give, give away a lot of stuff for free, like help people and then contribute people without making a sale. Just Because the more you provide information without charging or anything or without getting anybody to sign a contract, the more you're going to be remembered as, oh, that guy who knows about that or that girl who knows about that. Like The amount of people that just reach out to, to me, like, like if I know somebody who wants to find some sort of business connection in Japan, Jason automatically comes to mind as the business connector guy because he just does that and he does it on a regular basis and he does, he does that for free. Same with real estate, right? Like I'm the Japan real estate guy who speaks English just because I keep putting stuff out there and answering people's questions and giving them advice. It just, it works. I mean, it sounds like you're giving away best stuff for free is a bad idea, but it's actually one of the best ideas, I think. And you soon learn when people 
don't respond when you need help, right? Yeah. Then yeah. just cut those people out. Right? Mm. They're there, and it will happen. But you yeah. give it away, and it comes back. If it doesn't come back, you don't need to do business with that person anymore. Mm. And it's a bit of a marketing document in your profile. So build, building personal brand or brand in general. But it's it's also um, you can give people the the words that they they will later remember you by by using your profile. It's like the one on one of marketing is if you've got a product that's for working women who don't have a lot of time to cook, you say this product is for working women who don't have a lot of time to cook. So you could say, I am a videographer who specifically does this with a wide range of experience, but who specifically does what you guys are talk, talking about. Yeah. Give them so that, and then. One thing that LinkedIn and other social networks allow us to do is to manage a much larger amount of relationships. I mean, of, you know, a decade ago or more, uh, it became uh, clear to me that I, I would meet people and we'd, we'd just start talking as if we were the best of friends, but it's like two years since I last saw them. But it doesn't matter if, they're, if you're, you're, they can see you, there's some activity going on, um, if you, it's your chance to be, it's a living, breathing, uh, it's not a static profile, right? It's your presence that yeah. is important. And as Zoo was saying, if you want to be known for something and have it be less about your stepping out and approaching as you're networking and you want to start turning it around where pe people come to you, not only have you built the strong network that you've helped and, so, and started to come back, but after you get known for something, then people start referring people to you people start searching yeah. and uh, yeah so it's 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 a powerful thing to have a presence and I don't know how to handle the Facebook um, <laughs> versus LinkedIn thing I think in some ways though it's it's um, it's good that they're not on Facebook using it like LinkedIn they're on Facebook using it like Facebook so it's a chance to um, get to know them personally a lot better. yeah and some of the... Look at their cats and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That going on. yeah but you can look also at your cats and your privacy as well. So <laughs> I did it like, I stopped, I blocked all my personal information. Mm. I used to have two Facebook. I used to have one professional and one uh, right. personal. Yeah. And I used to separate correctly both. And I had, I had like 800 contacts on my professional Facebook, mm. like choosing carefully. And mm -hmm. Facebook, two years ago, deleted it. Without any further notice, my, I just lost my professional Facebook. Yeah. And I contacted them like many, many times. Said, what have, what have you much. done? And they don't answer. Yeah. And there's no way to, to get my, my Facebook page. Yeah. And people, like, people, they say, oh, you erased me. <laughs> so everyone came to see me and said, you erased me. No, 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 I didn't understand. <laughs> but I, t I totally agree with you with the, the whole network thing. And I'm saying, um, take some control over the the efforts that you're doing as uh, as a networker or uh, in networking towards a goal. But that's that's how you reach people that are not visible to you is by the the connections between people. Mm. And especially in Japan, it is that older Japanese guy or um, someone who's not related to your industry that can let introduce you into a wider network that doesn't exist on LinkedIn or that is a a great. Um, connection to have, even in a business sense, even though your relationship with them is personal. Mm. And mm. you know that in Fukuoka, these important people, they gave you their card, 
And when you arrive at home and you look at the card, there is no mail address on it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. What the point? <laughs> <laughs> you need your mail address. <laughs> yeah. But it's like it's like what well, they do. They have a fax, right? They have a fax. They fax you my email. They don't need an email. And they've also got a secretary to open the fax. I mean, the Japanese minister for cyber defense, he also has never touched a computer in his life, right? No, because they give you, exactly, there is the phone number and the fax number, but no mail address. So that's true, actually. They expect you to call or fax. You can send them a picture of your face. Your <laughs> email address underneath. <laughs> I think that it's exactly like Ashley was saying uh, that the magic happens on the peripheral peripherals of your network, right? Because if you go out there and you, you list, you know, like Jason was saying, yes, make a list of industries and interesting people. But when you come across someone, if you immediately file them in your head, like, okay, that that's he's not going to be a customer or she's not going to be a business mm -hmm. partner, so I don't really need to communicate with them right. anymore. Mm -hmm. That's the worst mistake you can yeah. make because the best business connections will come via a person who has nothing to do with your business industry exactly. and just happens to know one, mm -hmm. someone and then happens to remember that you were dealing in that and he connects you because he likes you. Right. And that, that's, that's really where, uh, that really is where the magic happens. I agree. And you have to make friends. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really like, don't, don't, it's too polite. Like most of the time Japanese people, it, they, they stay in their business position very, very polite yeah. with like a, a very uh, code, mm -hmm. yeah, like the script on the Japanese way of saying, say, no, no, be friendly, mm -hmm. like so people can remember you also, and uh, and yeah, become friends. It's like the goal is to become friends, actually, so. But what, one last question for me, how about on the other end, right? what, what are we as foreigners doing when we approach Japanese people for the first time that is maybe a no-no that we're just not aware of? Too direct. I mean, the stereotypical stuff in that sense is, is true. I mean, mm. I know for, foreigners speak great Japanese and they've been here a long time, but they're still incredibly direct to, to Japanese people. Mm. So, yeah, just, and you can solve that by not being about you and what you want mm. up front. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's so many uh, nuances of meeting Japanese people. I mean, a lot of us as, as foreigners meet a lot of Japanese people who are quite comfortable and like foreigners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then, and you can interact with them in different ways than you could to someone who's it's new to them to be around foreigners, even though they may, might even speak English. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, take be be polite and and take things easy. Uh, so on the on the the Japanese and foreigner thing, I've got that little anecdote story. But um, why do why do foreigners quit Japanese companies is a good insight into the way. What foreigners find they feel they don't get praise enough, and they probably. Incorrectly think it's because they're a foreigner when, mm -hmm. when really the Japanese company is not praising anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And if an employee's got high potential, or they're, they're grooming them for management, or they're in management in a low level, and they want they're going actually they're going to put more pressure on them and give them less praise here. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so people leave those sorts of companies because what the foreigner is they don't feel appreciated. 
Okay, so we're expecting more compliments and like, oh, what a good job you did today. Yeah, the, the unspoken mm -hmm. stuff that makes you feel of value yeah. mm -hmm. doesn't come. Mm -hmm. I quitted like that actually. Really? They didn't say thank you, and I left. <laughs> <laughs> and we had this very very big event. It was huge, like a lot of important CEO came, like for like a Peace Nobel Prize came. It was very huge, like three days in a big hotel with uh, more than 500 persons. We were three women to take care of the event, and the two of my colleagues, they got the uh, uh, influenza, like one of the biggest influenza, because we were in Bangladesh just before, and they got the influenza in Bangladesh. And so they were, they were out for like the, all, almost two months before the event. Uh, that was crazy. And so I did it. I almost did everything by myself for wow. two months, and that was crazy. Wow. So the event was not perfect, but it went smooth. We didn't have big problems. Yes. Like three days event, 500 person, lots of CEO, and I was like, cool. And uh, so we had this meeting with the boss after the event to mm -hmm. say, oh, okay. and the guy said, I was not really happy. He said that. And I said, Ooh. what? <laughs> I'm not happy. You're going to at least say thank you. And he did actually the group things, the Japanese way, talking to everyone, to not point fingers to people. And I understand that. But I was at least saying, he went well, thank you. I was just waiting for the thank you. And he said, you're not going to say thank you? And he said, no, because he was very proud. Mm. And I said, OK, so goodbye. And I didn't come back. Mm. <laughs> no, no, don't say that. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad. Thank you, actually. So, I, I will not. remember to say thank you. That's important. That's the phrasing thing that you were saying. Yeah. It's important also that to say that when someone do a good job, you say thank you. That's not difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe you ought to show, show, show the prize also that you actually mean it. And if you just, I had similar experience also in the last job here in Japan, and um, basically we were developing a reservation system for. Um, and um, I was basically the, the main engineer, and I was more or less the only engineer for a long time, and then we had a couple of Indian engineers who joined it straight from university, and I had to teach them all, all the time, and um, I was basically also like going crazy what I was doing about on work, and, and I was basically most told him, but okay, let's give me a little bit more officially responsibility, and then all he was basically telling me, yeah, but you are, you are the mental leader and all this kind of things, and in the end, I'm kind of like, yeah, go, uh, can, can keep your mental leader or whatever. It's, it's, don't show me some, yeah, show me some appreciation. I'm just gonna work for myself and actually I'm proper money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how I quit my actually last mm -hmm. job. One of the one of the big reasons actually behind that one. Yeah. So Horizo as well. So it's a management practice that's got a positive reason for it in Japan. Mm. Um, it's the way that uh, seniors expect someone below them to act. Okay. So it's, it's one of the reasons it's people leave accurate. companies is they set out of a hole for Hokoku and rain for Renraku mm. and so forth so on. So basically whatever happens, oh, go tell your go tell your superior, then um, yeah, take contact with him and um, discuss with him what to do next. Okay, so we're not supposed to make any decisions on our own kind of thing. Mm. 
Is that I'm not sure if it's on decision making or only if problems occur, but definitely if it's uh, related to problems. So if any problems occur, mm -hmm. then, then definitely make your report it and um, discuss on yeah, our From the foreigner point of view, it's something you can learn to integrate better into a Japanese company by just going ahead and doing it from day one. You'll stand out as someone, wow, this, this guy knows how to communicate with me as a manager. So it's, um, what was to report, it's just on a process or a result um, from, a, from a junior to a senior. Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be a problem, it's not necessarily a decision, it's, it's, it's the what's going on now situation. Mm -hmm. And on a regular basis, so they can, they don't, they don't need to know, but by hearing it, they, they f the manager feels like he's got a finger on so the pot. They don't need to ask you anything. Mm -hmm. they, get they forget the mood at the end. Takes that to a more specific level on the um, yes. notifying of yes. the facts yes. quickly, timely, make sure there's nothing yes. to surprise. Yes. And then sort of this consult or discuss. That's generally asking for advice or saying this is what we're doing, what do you think about that? So that the manager feels appreciated or needed or he's been consulted before even though he's actually not involved in the things that are happening it looks like they've come to him for advice so the bosses and need to feel appreciated but the staff don't yeah <laughs> something like that yeah but there's one thing that we're not saying here is like most of the foreigners here in japan working for japanese company they are hired in a position to internationalize the Japanese company mm. most of the time. Mm. So I don't know how many of you like work as a foreigner for a Japanese company or for like an international company sitting in Japan. It's completely different mm. because when mm. you work for a Japanese company, you're working to internationalize. So your your job is to advise them and to give your opinion on how to do things. But then it's the same of like a whole day and so mm. like you give your things, it go on the highest right. And Mushi, there's nothing actually. <laughs> nothing to do that. So I guess most. <laughs> nothing choice, I've been here for 17 years in Japan. Yeah. I know many foreigners who worked in Japanese company. Most of them quit mm. because they are tired. It's like they try for two, three years, mm. and then they realize that everything they try for two, three years don't give anything. Like there's no no change, and then like all the ideas are like cutting off. Like. You're working for what? For nothing. It's just like basically a position to say that the Japanese company is internationalizing, mm -hmm. but that's mm -hmm. it. It's just an image yes. most of the time. I, I don't want to do like big generalization, <laughs> but I would say it's quite like it's over 70% of the Japanese company. And that's sad. That's very sad. So um, there's, a, there's a misconception that Japanese people, uh, Japanese people in companies, make decisions on consensus and it, it's not quite true the meetings are full of people uh, and before that the nemuashi is about consensus it's consensus on the current situation the problem the thing we're approaching the gengyo something gengyo um, but then that gets presented in one or two three ways to senior people who then pick the one pick the one that they mm -hmm. want so it's not quite consensus driven um, <laughs> um, older Japanese um, men might be might put down their wives and say, "This is my wife. 
She's a bit fat, but... <laughs> and then an American might go, this is my beautiful wife. And better half. And foreigners are thinking to the Japanese, like, how the hell did you say that about your wife in front of her? Like, my God, is that what you think of her? Um, and the Japanese guy's thinking, <laughs> bragging. <laughs> so that, it's a, that can be extended into other other areas and, and ways of thinking. It's, it's not a very common thing these days, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, just ending on the anecdote, and this comes from a good friend of mine who did, um, he worked in manufacturing and uh, he lived here for a long time, very fluent in Japanese, went back to, to America and worked in the automotive industry as an intercultural consulting trainer and uh, for, for many, many years, 18 years and spoke to many hundreds of Japanese and foreigners in events and one-on-ones and, and one of the things he, he used to ask was what are the challenges of working with the other, um, the Japanese or foreigner. Mm -hmm. And negatives for 18 years, negatives list, <laughs> uh, and then you'd say what are, the, what are the good things, the negative list was just always massive and, <laughs> and the, the other one was um, the positives was much smaller. One day in, he was in Kentucky, which is so, uh, southern US, and the longest list was all the positives. Mm -hmm. And so he dug into that to try and find out, um, oh, and, and for, for both sides, both the Japanese and the foreigners, it was, it was bigger. And the relevance to this event is that uh, he, finally the, one of the senior managers said, oh, that's because I started doing these Texas Hold'em parties. Okay, poker. <laughs> and one, it, it got more and more popular until everyone wanted to come. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was obviously drinking, but not just drinking, it was playing games. And social events and uh, breaking down the barriers, all that sort of stuff. Um, um, reducing the pressure of speaking English, because it's all social at that point, just sort of flowed back into the company. And um, and then using that, he went back and spoke to many others. And, and the general consensus was it just made them much more tolerant of the other person. Um, that suddenly they were looking for the positives instead of uh, looking at the differences. So creating social settings where people can actually communicate on a personal level, not only on the professional level. Right. But and just giving people the benefit of the doubt, no matter how it was said, it came across. Um, they know their intention was good, mm. and so I thought that was a, a good thing to finish on. All right, thank, thank you, you very much. All right, as promised, fantastic presentation and Q&A session. Hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to reach out to Jason, we've got his LinkedIn profile in this episode show notes for you as well. Don't be shy, reach out, say hello, introduce yourselves. And as mentioned in the session you've just listened to, you never know what kind of magic might happen at the periphery of your professional network. The trick really is in connecting with others and always leading in, not with what you want, but rather with what you can offer to the person you're reaching out to. So you do that and you'll be well on your way to a successful and fruitful business relationship. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, 
or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. <laughs>